0: Hey, everybody, it's Dorinda Trick here. Welcome to today's episode of Nurtured to Love. While you'll never know your true identity until you get to know your own spirit. Okay, we're doing this at a little bit more frequent uh, pace. Uh, the tempo's picked up as we continue to cover um, the book entitled Witness to the Truth. Today we are on Chapter 7. It's about the exhorter. So join me uh, in prayer as we commit this time uh, and this lesson to the Lord. Father, thank you again for your progressive revelation in dreams and visions, in um, experiences in nature, uh, but more than all of that, even Lord, in just this beautiful um, Understanding that you give us deep inside our spirits, we learn more and more about who you are and who we are in you. And there's just no end to it, Lord. We thank you for that, that you are an amazing God. And today, Lord, the exhorter, such a tremendous, tremendous aspect of your nature that you have deposited in all of us and in some people to great measure. We thank you for the exhorter. We thank you that Jesus Christ himself walked in this identity primarily. He knew no obstacles. He knew no barriers. He was able to cross all boundaries, cultural, ethnic, racial, gender, socioeconomic. He could do it all. And Lord, we aspire to be used by you in that same way. So I call the exhorter portion of every listener's spirit to attention today to listen to the lesson about the exhorter, the principle of sowing and reaping the lie and the curse. For the sake of Jesus' name, amen. And so I've basically just given you the chapter title. (laughs) Let's go on and get started. Happy-go-lucky, popular, winsome. The exhorter is someone we might not consider to be particularly spiritual. He is the one who just seems to bubble over with life and vitality. He loves people, loves to love people, exudes a joyful effervescent that's attractive to anyone, anyone in search of the life of God. So it may seem a bit odd that the principle that applies to this gift is the principle of sowing and reaping. For me, just the mention of sowing and reaping brings a sense of sober reflection, a heavy reality check. You may or may not be able to identify with that, but listen with your spirit to the word of God for you from Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, from the Amplified Translation of the Bible. Do not be deceived and deluded and misled. God will not allow himself to be sneered at, scorned, disdained, or mocked by mere pretensions or professions, or by his precepts being set aside. He inevitably deludes himself, who attempts to delude God. For whatever a man sows, that and that only is what he will reap. And also listen now with your spirit to Luke chapter 6, verse 38 from the Amplified. Give, and gifts will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Will they pour into the pouch formed by the bosom of your robe and used as a bag? For with the measure you deal out, with the measure you use when you confer benefits on others, it will be measured back to you. Sowing and reaping. No question. There is a deep gravity to this law of truth. It's undeniable. No wiggling out of this one. It's a law with no options and it applies to all of us. Sowing and reaping versus fast and furious. The quick-fix culture we used to live in is not fast enough anymore. We used to talk about the difference between some things taking the time of a microwave and others the time of a crock-pot, but you know what? That metaphor metaphor doesn't apply anymore. It's It's no longer relevant. The world seems to be spinning faster and faster, and instantaneous has now replaced the microwave of the past. Think about it. You never hear anyone mention a microwave anymore. Why? Because everything is ready for you to pick up from someone else. We have become a takeout generation, our culture accelerating to the point that the idea of anything worth doing, having, or achieving is now rejected as obsolete, worthless, and irrelevant if the process takes some time. In the Kingdom of God, however, sowing and reaping is not an instantaneous or even microwave endeavor. It's long-term, not something we expect to do in a day. Sadly, our culture has been blinded to the reality and value of sowing and reaping. But that doesn't change the fact that it is God's truth that brings redeeming life when applied to His purposes. Sowing in the field of man, not the field of God. The easy strength of the exhorter is his ability or her ability to build relationships with others. He is a highly gifted communicator and can engage and motivate motivate people to move out and get things done. His or her ability to work a crowd is legendary, a gift that many of the rest of us are glad they have to give. (laughs) They get quick results because of these strengths, yet oftentimes they fail to invest in long-term sowing that will reap the highest result, one of eternal value to God. The fourth day of creation parallels the redemptive gift of exhorter, so now listen to Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 19. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be signs and tokens of God's provident care, and to mark seasons, days, and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky, to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light, the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser light, the moon, to rule the night. He also made the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, fitting, pleasant, and He approved it. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fourth day. The sun, moon, and stars were made to give light, but as you can see from this uh, passage I just read, they were also made to be signs and tokens of God's loving care and markers of time. The seasons, the days, the years, you get the picture. In this way, the lights don't just function as lights, but also as governors. They, this may seem to have little to do with the picture I've painted so far of the smooth-talking, people-pleasing exhorter who can get folks to get things done. Well, bear with me. No other gift has the light-giving gift of the exhorter. As with the seven days of creation, we can also draw a parallel to the seven pieces of furniture in the, in the tabernacle to understand more about the different redemptive gifts and their empowerment from God. In the fourth position in the tabernacle, which would be the exhorter, because that, the exhorter is the fourth of the seven redemptive gifts, in this fourth position in the tabernacle is the golden lampstand. This is another image of light, and a very special one, for the golden lampstand could not have any inferior oil in it. Oil represents anointing from God, so the application is this. If the exhorter puts his relationship with others, which, you know, the title of this section was called "Sowing in the Field of Man versus "Sowing in the Field of, of God. That would be sowing in the field of man, aiming for man's approval. If the exhorter sows their first, right, puts that relationship with other people ahead of his or her relationship with God, allowing God to download revelation to them through the Word, then what this person that we are now looking at today called the exhorter, what they have to give to others, will not be of the highest quality, the pure oil that God intends for them to have and to pass on to the rest of us, right? God wants the exhorter's attention first. He wants his number one priority to be receiving revelation from God before turning his attention to others. Then in tremendous light-giving authority, the exhorter comes out of his or her time with God and into the lives of other people carrying a deposit of pure light, drawing them into the reality of God. People from all walks of life and cultural backgrounds find the exhorter's exuberance and vitality irresistible. Like a moth to a flame, God draws them into His presence through this amazing gift. God has also designed the exhorter to know time and timing, a reflection of this governing aspect of the sun, moon, and stars that He made on the fourth day, and I mentioned a little bit earlier. The exhorter is God's timepiece. We need to be able to trust that this person who is an exhorter is so connected to God that whatever instruction they give us aligns us with the time and timing of God for redeeming life in the earth. The quick fix versus eternal life. In our culture, the pressure to accelerate time seems to be everywhere, but this is a perversion of God's design. I once heard it said that we must keep in mind God created time so that everything wouldn't happen at once, the exact opposite of what our culture seems to expect from us today. And the exhorter must learn to resist the pressure to produce quick results. Instead, choosing to do the long-term sowing that will produce the results, the eternal results that God has in mind. When exhorters make peace with true sowing and reaping, putting their relationship with God before their relationship with man, much of the battle subsides. Authority Determines Ability Spiritual authority is so important, and it is so misunderstood in our world today, even in the Christian world, in the kingdom of God, in the church. When we know who we are and who God made us to be, we are in position to enforce His authority based on our design. The authority for the exhorter is critical, because exhorters are given the great ability to make God real to the culture, to break through all barriers, and to connect people to God. You know, sure, there are times when great things are going to happen fast in the kingdom of God, but it's long-term sowing into the lives of others that activates, motivates, and mobilizes them to go out and do the will of God. The seven redemptive gifts and their coinciding authority or ability in God are as follows. Number one, the prophet The prophet's ability or authority is to declare God's purpose and design that points people to their destiny. Number two, the servant. Their authority is prayer. Their their authority or their ability is in prayer that brings restoration and healing to leaders and families. Number three, the teacher. The teacher has an authority to bring blessing and to do blessing that continues in the generations to come bearing much fruit also they have a tremendous authority uh, to sanctify their family no other gift is called to sanctify their family the way the teacher is number four and today our focus the exhorter and the ability or authority that God gives the exhorter is to influence In such a way that people are reconciled to God and to one another. They're very good at reconciliation and finessing relationships. Number five is the giver, and God gives the giver authority or ability to detect, birth, nurture, and protect new things. Yeah, have your giver, uncle, aunt, grandma, whoever, pray over this baby that's coming. And the birth of the baby or the birth of a ministry or the birth of a, a business, et cetera, et cetera. Number six, the ruler. God gives the ruler authority to uh, give generational blessings, to bless uh, in a generational manner at the highest level that brings freedom. Rulers, and we'll look at them in a couple of weeks, they are the empire builders for God. And finally, number six, I mean, number seven rather, uh, you know, best for last is what I like to say because it's my primary identity, is the redemptive gift of mercy, which parallels the seventh day of creation when God did not do any more creating, but simply rested and blessed. And this person, it may be you, maybe someone you love, uh, has been given authority uh, through their intimacy and alignment with God. Intimacy truly is the new authority for all of us because it is through our intimacy with God that we develop our our spirits, develop our our characters, and we are able to go deep with the Lord. We're able to hear what He wants us to do and that sort of thing and move out in our divine purpose. Okay, the next uh, little area. Whether you're a believer in Christ or not, you have an ability given to you by God. You may reject that God's the one who gave it to you, but it doesn't make it any less true. Design is preeminent. And it is God's domain. God gets to, what I'm trying to say there to you really, and boy, does this apply in culture today, is that when we think about design of any kind, okay, uh, true design, it comes from God. God is the author of design. Our our spirits, our souls, and our bodies as human beings. The abilities you were born with come from an all-knowing, all-powerful, loving Father. Violation of His design of you will bring, it will always bring heartache. The Legitimacy Lie and the Curse The tricky thing is that we can take off in these abilities all on our own, and God knows that. He will never violate our will. Not, No, never. He designs us to partner with Him to fulfill His purpose. This requires a submission of our will to His And this is where the rubber meets the road for us. You know, it's easy to see the exhorter's amazing ability to draw people in and make them feel valued and loved and even inspired to do big things for the kingdom of God. This is their easiest strength, which is easily sucked in by our empty culture. The church, family, or job may suck them into believing the lie that they are only legitimate when others want and need to be around them. The result? They put people ahead of God. God did not make the exhorter to operate this way. In fact, the greatest, deepest, most transformational strength the exhorter has is to open the Word of God to the rest of us by putting relationship with God before people. A Scenario of Seduction As a young girl, I demonstrated many of the behavioral characteristics of the exhorter. Friendly, outgoing, exuberant, I got lots of attention, and I knew how to get lots of attention. My parents loved me. The world was my oyster. I felt I could do anything, be anything, say anything I wanted to say. I started off strong in the way the world tells us to be strong. When I had a problem with a peer, my mother would oftentimes tell me that they had to be jealous of me. That smelled a little fishy to me at the time, but I bought it, even though I knew it could not always be true. As I got older, I began to suffer some losses. Highly sensitive and emotional, I am a mercy and profit by redemptive gift. I saw and felt many things. These things were not just at school, of course, but also at home in my family. The problem was I had no language, to express the feelings and impressions I had about what I was experiencing. And this is a dilemma for most children. Children have such strong reactions to things, and we often wonder why. One reason is that they have no outlet for expressing the pain inside, so that it builds and builds until they explode by acting it out in some way. The explosion may be something we see or it can occur on the inside of children, something no one sees. This is worse because then no one knows what's happening with the children to help them with whatever is troubling them. This is really an implosion, an explosion on the inside. Nobody saw my explosion because it was an implosion. I behaved in an outgoing, confident way, but inside I felt a lot of disappointment and confusion. The enemy began whispering his lies to further confuse and frighten me, to make me believe my well-being was in the hands of others. If I pleased other people, then I'd be okay. So I sewed in the direction of other people over and over. I would do things to please them and befriend them. For a time, this worked quite well, but over time, it did not. Why? I had no grounding in the truth. I did not witness to the truth. I let my feelings and my perceptions of what others needed or wanted from me become my guiding light. This pattern of behavior dies a hard and slow death. It develops over a lifetime as people and circumstances change and we keep making adjustments to the pressures around and within us. Approval of people idol of the heart. People and their approval became an idol in my heart. The exuberant living life large little girl began slowly folding in on herself. I continued to maintain a facade of being large and in charge, but inwardly I felt anything but. I began to see that in order to be accepted and liked by others, even my family, I was going to have to hide my true self. I let what other people needed me to be to be who I was. What other people needed, tell me who to be. Not a good choice. And one that put me right down the road to lost identity. I bought into the legitimacy lie for the exhorter. That lie tells us that we are okay, we're legitimate when people want and need to be around us. I can remember one time as a teenager staying on the phone all night with a boy I knew had no romantic interest in me for this very reason. I knew he didn't like me the way I liked him, but I forced that thought out of my mind to convince myself I meant something to him. He needed me and I made myself available to him. His attention made me feel legitimate and acceptable. I sowed the lie through belief and later action that I had to be all things to all people. Wasn't this in the Bible somewhere? That made it from God, right? So it had to be right, right? The wounded part inside me believed I had to sacrifice to get people to love me. So I did a lot of that. I settled for relationships and experiences I thought I had to have in order to be accepted, in order to be loved. This included sexual experiences, too. I was all kinds of confused, but I would not let myself feel it. I just kept sewing in the wrong direction, telling myself it was the right direction because I was too scared and didn't know what else to do. Knowing God the way I do now, I know He had gifts in friendship for me, but I could not receive them. My eye was on my own ability to influence and endear myself to others to get them to like me. My eye was not on God, who loves me no matter what. Principles or laws of truth serve a purpose. The principle of sowing and reaping is no different. You sow in a particular direction, towards something you want, and you will move in that direction. This serves a purpose in your life. Sowing according to God's design brings redeeming life. So you'd think we'd sow good seed to get good fruit, right? Moving ourselves toward good things in our lives. You know, we start out this way, but somehow get derailed, Design of Hell or Design of Heaven The wisdom God calls us to master is represented by seven principles that apply to the seven redemptive gifts. Sowing and reaping is the principle that applies to the exhorter, but it is relevant in the lives of the rest of us, too. In the example given earlier related to my work with the family and counseling, I violated God's design by refusing to submit my will to Him. I decided to be the one to determine what was supposed to happen in the situation. I sowed self-righteousness, not caring what God thought or wanted me to do. And what did I reap? I reaped a complaint and inquiry by my professional board of examiners. I could have been suspended or worse, but God gave me grace. He protected me from the punishment I deserved. I took it upon myself to be judge and jury over another person's life. This is in direct violation of at least two principles of godly wisdom. Design, for God alone is the righteous judge, and sowing and reaping. When you sow trouble, you will surely reap trouble, as I did when the complaint came. This is a design of hell, not of heaven. The Spiritual Realm, Genuine and Abiding Reality Curses are the cause and effect principles God set in motion when He made the universe. The invisible or spiritual realm houses genuine and abiding reality. It contains the supernatural power that will ultimately shape your destiny for good or evil. Both blessings and curses carry power emanating from the invisible realm. A curse cannot take effect without a cause. Some causes of curses are disobedience and disrespect for parents, acknowledging or worshiping false gods, involvement with the occult, inequity and oppression, especially aimed toward the feeble and defenseless, all forbidden, aberrant, or unlawful sexual relationships, anti-Semitism, Dependence upon human strength, wisdom, and goodness, stealing, and lying. I wish I could say I'd had just one or two experiences with being on the wrong side of sowing and reaping. I know I'm not alone when it comes to making mistakes in my life, but I I believe there are a large number of us who suffered negative effects or curses because of spiritual abuse or neglect. As children, we were not nurtured in God's principles of sowing and reaping or any others. And as a result, we are ignorant of the powerful spiritual forces impacting us. During many years of searching for love in all the wrong places, I looked for quick fixes to my loneliness and despair, all the time denying to myself that I even had those feelings. I'd move in the direction of someone or something that was no good for me. I knew better. But out of fear and pride, I refused to deal honestly with myself or others. I sowed and sowed and sowed. I sowed in some pretty dark places. In the spring of 1985, I found myself in the recovery room of an abortion clinic in New York City. That was the day that sowing and reaping came home to me. I could no longer deny that what I had been thinking, doing and choosing was not working for me. I knew I had not aimed for this kind of outcome. I did not identify with what had happened in that place, yet I was there. I am so grateful that on that day, the Lord made Himself real to me. He is a God of amazing grace. I woke up in shock, but I also woke up feeling His strong presence right there with me. I could feel Father God's heart, and He felt so sad that I had done this to myself. It certainly had not been in His plan for me. That day God graced me with His manifest presence and a felt sense of His love for me. He gave me grace, unmerited favor, when I did not deserve it, because He knew that if I didn't feel His love in that very moment, guilt and shame were waiting to sweep me away. His presence reassured me that He didn't hate me or condemn me, but He was sad that I had let myself wind up in such a deep and dark place. You know, I wish I could tell you that I changed my ways after that, but it took another 13 years before I chose to commit my life to God. So remember, the spiritual realm exists whether you know it or not, agree with it or not, abide by it or not. God will not be mocked. Now may be a good time to examine your life for those times and places where you violated sowing and reaping. Take time to unpack it as I have before the Lord, and He will make things clear to you. Just ask Him. When you agree with Him that what you did violated His will, He will forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. He's good like that. Very good. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 Productive versus Unproductive Pain Pain is unavoidable. It is a fact of life. Contrary to popular opinion, pain is really not our problem. Our problem begins when we decide that we will be God and determine our own solutions to avoid the pain we encounter in life. I did that and the result was close to disastrous. I held three mindsets that led me to buy the legitimacy lie that brought unproductive pain into my life. Number one, I believed I was entitled to God's blessing and did not have to sow His will to get it, that I could just behave any old way in my life and God would protect me. Number two, I didn't take responsibility for for what I sowed, thus the shock came when I woke up in the recovery room of an abortion clinic. Number three, I was more concerned with myself and my relationships than I was with what was right. I have to admit that in most cases, I knew what was right, but I refused to witness to the truth. All three of these mindsets open the door for the curse to come into my life. You know, anytime a relationship of any kind comes before our relationship and loyalty to God and His standards, we invite a curse into our lives. For us and the exhorter, the, t- the signs of the curse can look like this. Number one, we get exploited by those in a position of authority over us. Two, we give all our power to those we serve, so much so that we can't move toward the goals we have for our own lives. And three, we are in bondage to what has been called, quote, the tyranny of the urgent, end quote. Attending to what circumstances tell us is urgent over investing in the things that bring life-changing results. This is a typical spirit-soul battle. We're constantly on the run, yet feeling we never make any forward progress. Want to change this ungodly pattern? Let's do it by agreeing with God about our sin and turning away from it. All right, so that concludes today's chapter 7 on the exhorter, the principle of sowing and reaping, the lie, the legitimacy lie, and the curse. It was a little bit more lengthy today. You may want to go hear it again. also want to point out that it is sin, rebellion, and iniquity uh, that we are looking at when we look at violating God's will and His design, and that, um, let me just add this at the tail end here today, sin is missing the mark. Rebellion is knowing that there is a line, a standard that is God's and purposely, intentionally stepping over that boundary line, violating it on purpose. And iniquity is when you pretty much thumb your nose at God's authority. In uh, the chapter that we've just covered, uh, clearly I was guilty of all three. So you'll want to examine your life of that same thing. You know, we sin all the time. We miss the mark. Sometimes we know it. A lot of times we don't. Many times we don't. And as we grow and mature in the Lord, we begin to recognize more and more how we sin. And the more we bring that before him, confess it, agreeing with him that it is sin, he does just what he promises in his word. He forgives us and then he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Thank you so much for continuing to to, uh, listen in as I cover this book, Witness to the Truth. It's Got a little age on it, but I think it's absolutely relevant, particularly now. So we will finish this lesson next time as we do the uh, renunciation prayer for the exhorter and then bless your spirit um, to go forward with the Lord um, in this particular part of your, uh, you know, of your, of your design of your spirit. So thanks again for joining me. I'm Dorinda Trick and i Uh, This is Nurtured to Love, why you'll never know your true identity until you get to know your own spirit. Take care. Have a great week. Bye-bye.